The world needs leaders, especially during times of uncertainty, but not just any leaders. It needs you. I'm glad you're here today. Glad to see you. It's, there's people in here. Look at the person next to you and say, you're here. I'm so glad that you're here. We want to welcome you to worshiping with us online today. Now, last week, we're talking about Old Testament characters this month. Last week, who did we talk about? We talked about Daniel and King who? Nebuchadnezzar. That's right. We, and, we, and after I went home last Sunday, I got a text from somebody in the church, and they said, first of all, how did you ever learn how to pronounce all those Old Testament names that you had in your sermon? And secondly, good sermon. Okay. So this week, we're going to talk about Nehemiah, okay? And now listen, you've heard about the story of Nehemiah before and how he came back from exile. He got the Jewish people to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem, and, and they had to keep their tool in one hand, their weapon in another. They rebuilt the wall in record time, and then all the other countries that had been attacking them said, the Lord's blessed them, and we're going to let them, uh, let them alone after that. At one point, they tried to distract him. So people who didn't want him to succeed said, come meet with us on the plain of Ono. And I love that. Every time I read that, I start laughing out loud. Come meet with us at Ono. And he said, oh, no, I'm not going there. And that didn't happen. Now, that's a sermon, a sermon that I preached before and maybe you've heard before. And if you haven't heard that one before, tough. Because I'm not preaching that one today. But... You can go home and read it yourself, but sometime if you want, I'll preach that sermon too. I want to talk about a different aspect of Nehemiah today. Now, Farah, when she prayed earlier, she said something. She said, we can hear from God. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask God to speak to you today in this message. Because even though it's an, God bless you, even though it's an Old Testament message, it's just as applicable today. It's something that we can apply to our lives. It's very real. It's all about leadership, and it's something that we really need in our lives, okay? Okay. <laughs> Somebody's already been to brunch this morning. Okay, well, here's the deal. In following the leader, there are three essentials to navigate with uncertainty. Why are we looking at that? I'll tell you why. Because we've just been through a pandemic. Nobody knew what was going to happen. We're still not too sure what's going to happen. It's been an unusual time, hasn't it? And in those times, we get restless. We get concerned. It, we don't know what to expect. We need somebody to step up and lead. Now, last week, we said three things. We said leadership is stewardship. If you're put in a position of leadership, then you are given a responsibility, essentially, to do a good job. The second thing is, we said it's temporary. Your position of leadership may not always be the same. You may not always have that job. You may not always influence those people. And so you have to take advantage of that position while you can, while it's daytime. Right now, this is the time to make it happen. And then third, leadership is accountability. Great leaders are those who are accountable to what God has called them to do. They care about God, they care about people, and they lead that way. And there's two different levels on which we lead. The first level is positional authority. What I mean by that is simply your position is what gives you authority. For example, 
Let's say you're a father or a mother or a manager or an owner or a boss or an executive or a police officer or a teacher or a coach. You are in a position where people give you authority, right? Because you lead them. But the second level is moral authority. And moral authority has everything to do with influence. If you want to influence people, you have to have moral authority. It's, it's a, an authority, it goes beyond a timeline or beyond a title. It's not just because they put your name on the door, but it's because you've earned it. So moral authority equals, yes, why yes, influence. See, all you have to do is look at the screen and you get the answers. They have moral authority because what they say and what they do add up. What you see is what you get. And so your walk and your talk, your credibility, it matches. And the alignment between what you claim and what you actually do are total in total sync together, and that equates in influence. And when there's a difference between what somebody says and what they do, you don't respect them, do you? You don't follow them. You don't lead them then because they're not real. And consequently, we lose respect or we gain respect based on how we act. And we also will lose our influence based on how we act if we don't have moral authority. For example, let's say that you grew up with a parent who struggled with substance abuse or gambling. <clears throat> okay? You probably wouldn't go to them for advice about those two things. You might if they'd conquered it and gotten beyond it. But see, we want somebody who's going to be real with us. So positional authority provides a person with influence during a limited time, okay? But moral authority is one that's outside uh, in a variety of contexts that enable us to be an influence on others. Now, the Old Testament provides us with this leader we're going to talk about today, Nehemiah. I've told you about him, and he was living in Persia. Now, this guy is a guy, he's a Jewish guy, he's from Israel, but what has happened is that their country has been conquered by this king. They've been taken back to Persia. This is before he's born, and so what happens is that, that over generations now, they've been living in exile. And so a lot of those people, that's all they've ever known. This is where they're born. This is where they're raised. This is what they know. That's home. Persia's home to them, right? But now there's an opportunity for them to go back and make a difference in their home, which is really the original home, which was Israel or Jerusalem. Now, this happened in the 5th century B.C., and we learned last week that B.C. does not stand for before covid Okay, just to make sure that you knew that, all right? He was a personal servant or attendant to a king, and we're going to practice the king's name, okay? Because when you look at it, you go, hum, 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 hum. It's hard to say, okay? Artaxerxes, okay? Artaxerxes. Look at the person next to you and say, Artaxerxes. And tell them to be impressed with you that you can say that, okay? Now, now, King Artaxerxes I was the king in Persia. And this story takes place. Israel had no independence for the last 250 years. First, they were under Assyrian rule. Then next, they were under the Babylonians. And now they're paying taxes to Persia. And for about 130 years before this incident that we're going to look at today, 
Cyrus the Great, who conquered Babylon, he, he also encouraged all the Jewish people living in Babylon. If they wanted to, they could go home. In other words, he was in charge. He lived in Babylon. He had conquered uh, Israel. He had conquered Jerusalem. And they had been in exile. And he says, if you want to go back home now, you can. That's an opportunity for you. So what happened was some of them decided this is all I've ever known. It's a pretty sweet deal here. It's a cushy position. I'm just going to stick around. And then others said, no, I really feel a calling to go back and restore our nation. And so that's what Nehemiah did. He had a cushy job. He was in a good situation. He was in a position of leadership where he was and everything was provided for him. But Nehemiah didn't want that because he had a heart for his people the original people, the Jewish people in Israel. He said, I want to go back home. I'm brokenhearted that the wall around the city of Jerusalem has been broken down, that it needs to be rebuilt, and that militarily and economically the, the country is in ruins. And I don't want to see that. I want to see us restored to the position where we were before the way God had blessed us. Now, what had happened is every time they try to rebuild, every time they try to come back, the, the warring nations around them would attack them and slap them back down and take advantage of them and make them servants again. And if you remember the story of Nehemiah, you remember that he had a heart. He was listening to God. He was listening to God. And God was calling him to do something. And it was tough, but he did it. So he went to the king. King who? Say it out loud. Artaxerxes. Artaxerxes. He went back to him. He said, can I have permission to go back to Judah and rebuild the country? I've got a broken heart because my homeland is destroyed. And the king not only granted his request, but he funded it. He gave him money, and he made him the governor of Judah. He gave him a position, and he says, you go back and straighten everything out. So Nehemiah goes back, and we're all, we all know Nehemiah because he rebuilt the wall in record time. And when the other countries saw what had happened, they didn't bother them anymore. And he had to have perseverance, and he had to have moral authority to do that. And so he did go back, and he did that. One of the ways he did that was that he helped build the wall himself. He didn't just send people out there to build it. They had a tool in one hand and a weapon in the other, and he was right there beside them. He didn't expect other people to do what he wasn't willing to do at that time. And the wall was broken down, but that was not the only problem they had. Because after Nehemiah had been there for a while, he discovered the root of the cause of the city's economic woes. In other words, he kind of got the lay of the land. He found out, well, why are we doing so poorly financially? And here's what he discovered. Would you like to know what he discovered? I'm so glad you asked. I'm going to tell you right now. Are you ready? Because here I want you to focus in. This is the crux of it. Before he got there, wealthy landowners and merchants from the region surrounding Judah had loaned money to the Jews at exorbitant interest rates. In other words, the countries around them had loaned money, and then what they would do, it had decimated the economy. So when Nehemiah showed up, here's what he did. This was amazing. He took his own money. He went to the Jewish poor people who were people who were just trying to get by, he paid off their debt. He paid off those people who had put them in a position where they were servants. He paid it off himself, and he paid off those loans. And suddenly, the people had money now to spend, and it jump-started the economy. 
But as time went by, Nehemiah began to hear some disturbing news that really were rumors going around, and he wanted to find out about it. He did some investigating, and here's what he discovered. Now, what had happened was that the wealthy Jews who were living in the city, they, they began to do what these other outsiders began to do. They were making high-interest loans to the poor. They were requiring these poor people to put up for collateral their wives, their children, and their farms. Then they were foreclosing on the farms when the people couldn't pay, and they were controlling all the grain prices. And that's when Nehemiah found out, and when he found out, he got ticked. He was furious at what they were doing. In fact, if you read the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, it's like reading this guy's diary. That's what it is. It's what's going on before him in his life right then. And he describes what he did when he found out what was going on. Now get ready. People are getting ready to start shaking right here because he's going to tell them off, okay? Nehemiah, the fifth chapter, and it says, When I heard their outcry and these charges... I was very angry. I pondered them in my mind and then accused the nobles and officials. I told them, you are charging your own people interest. So I called together a large meeting to deal with them, and I said, he's going to tell them off now, all right? He said, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. Now you are selling your own people only for them to be sold back to us. He's already spent his money to pay their debt for them. And now these, these wealthy people that are Jews are taking advantage of these other Jews. But in time, paying off these loans for the Jewish citizens was something that would become a practice that was something that was common. He goes on to say this. When he confronted those people, what does it say? They kept quiet. You know, another way to translate is they looked at the floor and ate the carpet. That's what happened. They didn't have a leg to stand on. They didn't know what to say. They said, guilty, we did. You've caught us, and not only have you caught us, but you don't do what we do, and so we're in trouble because they could find nothing to say. That's what they're doing. They're just stuck right there, right? So I continued. They didn't have any rebuttal, and he came after them then. What you're doing is not right, he says. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? He said, do you not realize what you've done? You've made our country a laughingstock to the regions around us. <clears throat> you're not even following your own laws. You're undermining your own economy, and, and you're undermining the security of our nation. But he's not done. He's telling them about it. He says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain, but let us stop charging interest. In other words, he's helping them. He, he will loan them something, but he's not charging them any interest. Now listen, why is that important? Because according to the Torah, which was their scripture of the day, Jews were actually encouraged to loan others money, especially other Jews, but they were not allowed to charge interest. And they were not allowed to take important property as collateral, like land or animals. But these wealthy Jews were guilty of doing that. So now Nehemiah points a finger at him. He's really telling them off. And he says, give back to them immediately their fields, vineyards, 
olive groves and houses and also the interest you are charging them. In other words, they're just robbing these people. And this is how they respond. I love this. Here's what it says. We will give it back, they said. <laughs> and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. We're sorry. Please don't hurt us, okay? Now, Nehemiah is no fool. So just because they said that doesn't mean he believes them. So here's what he says. Then I summoned the and made the nobles and the officials take an oath to do what they had promised. He brought the uh, holy writ religious authorities in and says, you swear you're going to do this with them, watch it, okay? Because I don't believe you're going to do it. And he said, I also shook the folds out of my robe and said, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise, so may such a person be shaken out and emptied. Then, it's a little object lesson there, okay? And then he says this, and the whole assembly said, amen. <laughs> amen, brother, preach. We're with you, pal. That's what they said. And the people did what they promised. Did, did that blow your mind? He just told them off and they did the right thing. Now, what does that sound like to you? Well, it sounds like a Bible story, right? Well, sure, they, they did that. It's a Bible story. If they put it in the Bible, yeah, that's the kind of thing that happens in the Bible. But that doesn't happen in real life. Well, it did happen in real life. And there's a reason for that. Because if you know the back story behind what was going on, then you can appreciate what was going on. The reason that Nehemiah's words carried so much weight was because of the way he had conducted himself for the last 12 years since he came back from exile. His reputation preceded him. It stood in stark contrast to the previous governors. And here's the reason his words carried so much weight. Moreover, he says, from the 20th, 20th year of King Artaxerxes, Artaxerxes, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until this 32nd year, 12 years, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Now, this is important, okay? Nehemiah is the governor of the region. He's the governor of the Israelite people here in this particular place of Jerusalem. And, and so he had a legal right. Here's what he could do. He had a legal right to collect taxes and personal income from the Jewish people in the area. Also, he had a right to take land from them if he wanted to. He could take animals from them. He could get whatever he wanted from them. But in the 12 years of governor, he never exercised those rights, that entitlement. In fact, he paid out of his own pocket in stark contrast to the previous governors who had come before him. In fact, this is what he said. But the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people, took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. In other words, everybody before him, not only the wealthy people, but the people who were in charge of the place, the, the political leaders, they were in a position where they would take advantage. Sometimes they would abuse the advantage that they had. And then he makes the next statement. But he says, but out of reverence for God, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work of his wall, 
all my men were assembled there for the work, and we did not acquire any land. Now, why does he throw in the property thing? Well, here's why. Because property owners in those days, that was a sign of power. If you had property, then you had prestige. And Nehemiah is saying, look, I did not enrich myself at the expense of the people. And then he goes on and he says, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on these people. So for 12 years, all he's ever done is try to be the person who could lead these people. He helped them build the wall. He helped them restore the economy. He helped them move back into a position of political strength. He got onto the people who were taking advantage of them, who lived with them, their neighbors. And he said, don't do that anymore. And then he made them swear to the priest that they wouldn't do it anymore. And he said, now we're going to do the right thing here because that's what God has called us to do. And because of the way that Nehemiah had lived his life, they all said, okay, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you said. The life he led, the decisions he made, the genuine concern for the people, the lifestyle, the fact that he didn't have an entitlement attitude, all the nobles gave in and submitted to him. Now, that's good leadership. Nehemiah persevered with moral behavior, and he was a great leader with authority. Now, here's what it takes to be a great leader. You, you, you can't, here's the problem. You can be a great leader for a long time, but if you mess up once, then you're going to hurt all that you've just accomplished, and you can't do that. You know, you're one decision, one word, one reaction away from damaging your influence with people. Let me tell you something. As a preacher, people in the church can tell you off when they want to. I don't know if you knew that or not, but they can They'll come to you. They'll come to you on Sunday morning, right before you're going to preach, or right after you get through. They'll tell you in your most vulnerable time. They just let you have it. They'll make assumptions. They'll assume that they're right and you're wrong, and they don't even know the facts a lot of times. But they will tell you off. You can never let them push your buttons. They can say anything they want to, but you can't say anything back to them that you're going to regret. You cannot let them push your button. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher or not. If you're a leader, you can't let people push your button. There's times when I have said nothing so that it would be better than if I had responded because I would have reacted and not responded. And so I did not speak, and I did not lose respect. They did not lose you know, respect from me because I did that. Trust is earned, and trust is influence. And that, and that brings us to a sharp and uncomfortable focus. I want you to think about that. You don't respect your parents because of what they required you to do. You either have respect for them or a lack of respect for them because of the way that they live, the way they act, what they do. And that same is, is, same is true for you and me. Our lives speak louder than words, and that's what carries weight with our words. So with that in mind, I want to give you three things before you go eat, okay? And you want to hear these three things because you want to go eat. You want to hear the three things? Yes, please, Joe. Please tell us the three things. And do it rapidly, would you? Number one, pay close attention to your response to authority. Pay close attention to your response to authority. Listen, you're in a position where somebody is an authority over you for a reason. 
Everybody has somebody that they're under their authority. We're under God's authority. We have other people. God does that to hold us accountable. It's to our benefit. So listen, you've got to have the right attitude toward authority. You can spend your life bucking authority and losing, or you can spend your life saying, you know what? God put me in this position. As long as I'm in this position, I am going to submit to authority until God calls me to go and do something else. I'm going to do that. And a lot of people have lost their moral authority and reputation because they responded inappropriately. And here's why I say that. If you consider, you know, you've got to be under authority to be over in authority. If you can't be under authority, you're never going to be over other people in authority. Everybody is accountable to somebody. Now, the second thing is keep your eye on your sense of entitlement. When you start saying to yourself, you know, I deserve this and I ought to have better and it ought to be nicer and yada, yada, yada. You know, what you're doing is you're complaining to God because things aren't the way you want them. And God says, you know, I, I put this together. You know, you realize that you're complaining to me about this. And, and you, you just need to realize what you have. You, you need to have an attitude adjustment. You ever have one of those? When I was going to school, we had something called the Board of Education. <laughs> Enough said. Okay? So you got, <laughs> yeah, we did. Yeah, some of you remember that. So now here's the deal. When we start making excuses for our behavior and we see people doing stuff that we would not accept that's just like that in them, we got a problem. Because if we look at them and we say that's not acceptable, we can't get by with doing the same thing. And that'll stop you in your tracks. Nehemiah deserved the position he had because he was a great leader. And he didn't let anything undermine his influence. Because odds are, whatever you think you deserve, really, this is just write this down. God, please do not give me what I deserve. I would much rather have grace and mercy any day. Okay? That's right. That's the truth. Third thing. We're on the third thing. We're going to eat soon. Isn't that great? Third thing is pay attention to the imaginary conversations. Something happens and you go off like that. Maybe you go in your office or maybe you go to your house. Maybe you get somebody you trust and you vent to them because they give you permission to do that and they vent to you sometimes. You can't do that with other people. You can't just do that with anybody. And if you're just running that in your mind all the time, then you've got to talk to God about it and let it go. Because one mess up and you're in trouble. Now, this is the way we said it in Tennessee. If you mess up, fess up. That's right. Hey, you know, I was wrong. I am sorry. Learn to say I was wrong. Practice that right now. Look at somebody. In there. If you're married, this will count. This will be points for you. Look at your spouse and say, I was wrong. There. How about that? Hey, that's the best thing I could do for you today. I should get extra credit for that. Say, now say this. Don't say other things. Pay attention. Then say, I am sorry. Okay? See? Now try this one. This is the trifecta. Please forgive me. Try that. Try that. I'm telling you. When you mess up, fess up. Quick. Own it. 
That's the only way to rebuild your moral authority, okay? We trust people who make mistakes. We don't trust people who make excuses. You can write that down. Moral authority is an essential during times of disruption and uncertainty. And so you can lead without it. You can parent without it. You can manage without it. But you cannot be a leader worth following without it. Now listen. Listen to this, really. No kidding. Never forget this. People are usually defined by their final chapter, not necessarily their finest chapter. You can ruin a lifetime with something when you do something wrong. So make sure you finish strong. Make sure your final chapter is your best. And here's why. Because people are celebrated and remembered for their moral authority, not their positional authority. And that is true for you. So here's what you can pray. This is, this is a prayer that I can pray. Heavenly Father, give me the wisdom to know what's right and the courage to do what's right, even when it costs me. Your accomplishments may make a name for you, but your character and your moral authority will determine what people associate your name with. So guard it at all costs. Now next week we're going to talk about the next Old Testament character. Who's that going to be? I'm not going to tell you. You have to come back and find out. These are all pillars of the Old Testament and so I hope that you learned something today. Different slant, maybe, on Nehemiah than you've ever had before. Did God speak to you today? Today he speaks to me. Holy Spirit comes through my office before it comes here, right? Because I get it there, all right? Let's pray. Father, this is not just a story about some guy who lived a long time ago in the Old Testament. This is real. This is leadership. This is something that applies to every person who's listening right now. Lord, Help us to be the kind of leaders that other people can follow. You know, Lord, we, don't give us what we deserve. Give us grace and mercy so that we might be yours and so that we might be used by you to accomplish your purposes. We pray in Jesus' name and all the people said, Amen. Amen.